We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to the Hoosier Huddle Podcast. I'm Sammy Jacobs, along with us is TJ Inman. Uh, before we start, a word from our sponsors of SeatGeek. I'd like to take a second to introduce you to our newest friends from SeatGeek. Let them take the confusion out of your ticket buying experience. Instead of shopping dozens of sites to find the best deal, let SeatGeek do the work for you. Like Kayak if you're flying. Their app scans the web for the best deals for your favorite games concert or show and rates them on a scale of 0 to 10 to let you know if you're getting the best bang for your buck. A green dot marks great deals, yellow dot good deals, and red dot not so good deals. Use promo code ATAA at checkout to receive $20 off your first purchase. That's two free beers or whatever you want at the stadium on them. What are you waiting for? The promo code ATAA for $20 off your first purchase. SeatGeek. Life's an event. We have the tickets. All right, we're back at the Hoosier Huddle podcast. Today we are looking at the top national and Big Ten non-conference matchups. We'll go through about 15 games uh, and give you a breakdown of what we want to watch if we're not watching IU football. Uh, We'll go through each game, talk about why we picked it, the implications it could have on the college football playoff, and much, much more. So while we wait for TJ to join us, we will uh, – I'll go through them really, really quickly uh, and start us off. All right, the first game TJ and I both had at the top of our list – was LSU at Texas on September 9th. It's a confer- It's a campus game, uh, which is rare for these opening weekend games with, uh, with big teams. I like the campus games. It, it keeps college football like college football. Uh, too many of the big-name games are, are played at, at Jerry World or in Atlanta or some of these NFL stadiums that uh, just, you know, they take away a little bit of the atmosphere. They don't allow, uh, I mean, students are allowed to go, but it's it's a big trip for them. It costs fans more money, uh, and it just takes away out of the special weekend. Texas is a, you know, Austin, I've never been there, but Austin is one of the better places to watch a college football game. And having... Having that having that game as a home and home uh, is, is pretty cool, and the implications for it are are massive. Uh, there's you know a lot of talk that Texas is back. They beat Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. Uh, Georgia fans will claim that Sugar Bowl didn't matter, that their team was left out of the playoff, and that's why they had that poor performance in the Sugar Bowl. Uh, LSU coming off a Fiesta Bowl win over uh, UCF, and those two teams could be in the conversation for college football. Of course, LSU will have to talk up Alabama to get in. And Texas, of course, uh, will have to uh, challenge Oklahoma. They knocked them off once last year, uh, but had lost again. Uh, we welcome in TJ. TJ, how are you? Doing great. Yeah, doing great. Uh, sorry for the brief delay there. I had some technical issues with my phone, but uh, looking forward to this podcast for sure. Kind of our first real uh, look at the 2019 season. And uh, I think we're doing a kind of a cool thing, this profile and thematic conference game. Um, 
not an exceptional slate in terms of blockbusters, but um, a lot of games that really have big-time implications for the programs involved, um, you know, real stakes for winners and losers. And uh, I think it's a, a really entertaining kind of tier two, tier three group of games, if you will. Uh, looking forward to talking about them. Yeah, there, there's probably, one, uh, you know, two or three headliners, maybe four yeah. uh, really tier one games, and then the rest are, are nice games. Some are traditional games, uh, a lot of regional traditional matchups, uh, as well as some just downright good games that, that you'd want to watch. We got into Texas LSU a little bit, TJ. Uh, what are your thoughts on it? I, I said that there there could be some national – uh, college football playoff implications on it. Texas is going to claim mm-hmm. that they're back. If they win, they're going to claim that they're back some more. If they lose, you'll see all the memes on on Twitter that Texas is not back at the moment. And then LSU, that it's a good feather in the cap heading into SEC play for them. What are your thoughts on that game? Yeah, I think uh, number one, just the uh, you know the the visuals of that game are going to be great. Played it. Uh, in Austin, on campus. I love that part of it. Uh, two big powerhouse programs playing each other on campus. I'm always in favor of that. Great uniforms on both sides. Uh, so from a visual standpoint, it's going to be a great spectacle. Um, on the field, you know, LSU is a very interesting team to me. Uh, a lot of defensive talent. Uh, every year it seems like they just plug guys in that turn into stars. Uh, on defense, it's kind of they grow them there, if you will. Uh, but they've got a standout Grant Delpin, a safety that um, probably top 10, top 15 pick uh, whenever he goes to the draft. And then Texas, I do think that uh, Tom Herman um, thrives in the role of underdog. And right now, LSU a favorite in that game. Uh, I don't know if it'll go that way at kickoff uh, if they'll still be a favorite but I think that you're right both teams will with a win I think both fan bases will kind of talk themselves quickly into well hang on a minute maybe this is a year that we get ourselves in the playoff uh, with a loss I think you'll have both fan bases kind of scratching their heads especially if one team uh, gets blown out you'll have both fan bases kind of grasping for where they're at in terms of national relevance because of with Texas, your rival Oklahoma has been the standout program in the playoff era in the Big 12. And for LSU, it's been, uh, you know, Alabama. And then even looking to the east, Georgia, that have kind of uh, taken the torch for the SEC in the playoff era. So uh, that never helps fan bases when your rivals are the ones that are standing out nationally. And so I think there's really huge implications for both sides. A loss in that game really sets you back. And a win you know, is a really, like you said, a feather in the cap uh, as you head into your conference play. Neither of them have a challenge uh, elsewhere, and they're out of conference. So I think it's going to be a fascinating game. I'm really looking forward to that one. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, That's on opening weekend. It's, uh, I believe, a Saturday night game. Uh, the next game yep. on our list, TJ, is also opening weekend on Saturday, Texas A&M at Clemson. This is the second part of a home-and-home. Home. Last year, Clemson went, went to College Station. Uh, they beat Texas A&M 28-26 uh, in, in a great game. Uh, Texas A&M shut Clemson out in the fourth quarter at 13 points, came really close to knocking them off. This is the return game. Uh, you have Jimbo Fisher mm-hmm. against Dabo Sweeney again, an old ACC matchup. Uh, old, it's not old, but formerly of the ACC at Florida State, uh, another one of these matchups, a great coaching matchup. National implications, it's a game that Clemson could get tripped up on. If it does, it probably hurts their college football playoff. Um, you know, maybe as a one seed, uh, they'll still probably get in. Uh, they should make easy work of the ACC, but because of that, the, the lack of other firepower in the ACC, it probably takes them out of 
um, and probably takes them out of that one seed unless somebody else loses. As far as Texas A&M goes, just in that SEC West, they're probably the fourth best team uh, behind LSU, Alabama, and Auburn. Not necessarily in that order, uh, as Alabama should probably be at the top of that list. But it's um, it, it's a good matchup on paper. Again, it's a campus game at Death Valley in Clemson, and it should just be a, a really good one to watch. Well, Clemson's interesting because they lost, you know, one of the best historical defensive lines in the country um, from last year's team, and they're still looked at being as the top team in the country or, at worst, second. Um, I mean, that, that doesn't happen. Uh, uh, must, but you've got to give credit. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you've got to give credit to Davo Swinney. Um, I think this year, early on, they're going to rely a bit more on the offense than they did last year. Uh, remember, Kelly Bryant was the quarterback uh, for the uh, Tigers when they took on the Aggies last season. Uh, this year, it's going to be Trevor Lawrence. And, uh, I mean, I don't know if there are enough superlatives to describe the type of quarterback Trevor Lawrence is. I think he's phenomenal, and he has a bevy of weapons that, I mean, Travis Etienne is a, uh, if he was on any other team, I think he would be a bigger star than he even is. Uh, They've got a number of terrific receivers that are just uh, oozing with athletic talent. So, yeah, Lawrence's weapons certainly make him look really good. But, you know, that defense early in the season, uh, they have to replace quite a bit. I have no doubt that by the middle or end of the season, Brent Venables will have them playing at a great level. But maybe early on, there's a chance for Texas A&M to roll in there, um, you know, and beat up on that defensive line a little bit, overpower them somewhat uh, before they can really get their feet wet and uh, get into the rhythm of, of what being an every down defensive lineman is and, you know, catch Clemson by surprise and make that interesting. Uh, but it, it's going to be the biggest test for Clemson possibly uh, all season. The only thing that hesitates to say that would be that it's at home, uh, but there's just not a whole lot on Clemson's schedule that's going to challenge them uh, outside of just complacency on their part. So that one's really interesting, but I think more for, uh, an early litmus test to see is Clemson the team that everybody thinks they are this season, uh, or are they just going to, you know, be, it's not a question of will they be good. It's a question of will they be a great team or will they be a national title favorite? And I think that Texas A&M game is, is kind of a, a good bar to see where they're at. Yeah. Just a few corrections that I messed up. Both of those games are, week two matchups uh you got yes week two sorry um lsu is week two lsu texas is week two and uh clemson texas a&m is week three so not opening day slates but good um sorry week four yeah i had it all planned out and written out and it, it changed it um so it's uh, my bad. Yeah, Clemson's week two. They open up with Clemson, Texas A&M week two. Uh, Clemson opens up on that opening Thursday with Georgia Tech. And uh, yeah, LSU, a rebuilding Georgia Tech. LSU and Texas is uh, a 3.30 game in week two as well. So apologies on that. I, I should have triple checked. Um, it, it's really odd with the – with the August with week zero and then week one and, and there being 14 Saturdays or 15 Saturdays this year. So weird schedule. So on to number three, this I am pretty sure is an opening week, um, opening week game. We have the Oregon ducks going to Jerry world and playing the Auburn tigers. It's, yeah. I, I again, I do not like these games, neutral site games. Uh, it, it's a de facto Auburn home game um, at AT&T Stadium. Oregon has to come all the way down. I think it'd be so much cooler 
if this was a home and home series where Oregon got to go to Jordan Hare and, and Auburn got to go to Austin, um, you know, at, at some other date in, in another season. So, uh, but it is a it is an important matchup. Uh, Oregon is looking to to win the Pac-12. Uh, Auburn is looking to take a step forward after a, a positive bowl game, but a down year last year. They're looking to keep pace with Alabama, uh, LSU, Texas A&M, and that ultra-uber-competitive West. Uh, this is a, a just like Washington uh, last year, Washington-Auburn. This game, if the Pac-12 does not win this game, they could be irrelevant until the end of the season. Uh, Oregon, yep. Oregon is one of their, uh, you know, big horses in that conference. If they lose this game, there really isn't another marquee uh, Pac-12 national game. There are some other games, and we'll get to them uh, later in the show, but. If they lose this game, they're kind of that conference is is kind of irrelevant, and, and it goes in true Pac-12 fashion. Is, is that after week one, how how are you irrelevant as a Power Five conference after week one? Uh, on the flip side, Auburn it, it it could be a stepping stone for Auburn. Open that, then you could get you you get for you know second or third course in the SEC uh, West race. It's a big opening um, national TV win on opening weekend. And, uh, you know, we'll see that they lose Jared Stidham. But uh, there's a lot of positive vibes coming out of Auburn, which usually means they'll go 4-8. and eight. And it's usually the reverse. If, if people say Auburn's going to stink, they'll go 11-1. If people say Auburn's going to be awesome, they'll go 4-8 and eight or, or whatever. So thoughts on that, uh, that game, TJ? I mean, in our in terms of our rankings, you know, gets knocked a little bit for being in a sterile environment at uh, Jerry's World. But uh, in terms of stakes, I mean, it's a huge game. Gus Malzahn constantly uh, under fire um, with Auburn and Oregon trying to establish itself under Mario Cristobal. Uh, but, you know, they need a big win. As you said, the Pac-12 needs a big win. Um, Auburn. Very interesting. They've got a dynamic defensive line, uh, not quite at the level of Clemson's of last year, uh, but very good, where they could have three or four NFL players on that defensive line. Derek Brown, uh, big-time defensive tackle, and you got Marlon Davidson, Nick Coe, uh, Big Cat Bryant. They've got some really good defensive linemen, which typically uh, makes for a successful season. Now, you turn to the other side of the ball, and they're looking for answers at quarterback. Uh, a redshirt freshman that, um, you know, Auburn people were, or reporters, one of the two, were, you know, throwing around comparisons physically to Cam Newton, redshirt freshman Joey Gatewood, which you know, I'll believe that when I see it. Uh, and then Bo Nix is a true freshman that arrived early and uh, is apparently battling Gatewood for that job. So they don't know who the quarterback's going to be, but I, I think. They do feel fairly decent about both of them being a, an upgrade over um, from a running standpoint over Jared Stidham. Uh, we'll see, you know, but that that's an interesting point. They've got to run the ball better than they did last year. Oregon, certainly they're in the kind of the throes of, of a transition where they're trying to be a lot more physical than what they have been in the past. That's what Mario Cristobal wants to do. And I think it's uh, it's going to be really interesting to see quarterback Justin Bear. He needs to have a nice season to submit himself as that top 15 pick and kind of live up to the hype that he had going into last season. So uh, the Pac-12 needs it, Oregon needs it, and Gus Malzahn needs it because the schedule that they have is, uh, I mean, it, it's a ridiculous schedule. Um We'll talk about that more in our SEC section, but you really don't have a chance to breathe when you have Auburn's schedule. So any game that is winnable on a neutral site, you've got to take advantage of because they've got enough tough games that things get away from them pretty quickly if they're not careful. Uh, you know, when you go Oregon at Texas A&M, at Florida, at LSU, Georgia, and Alabama are all on that schedule. 
uh, you know, they could be a really good team and go seven and five. So that's a game that they need to take care of. Like I said, that's a neutral site game. It won't be the greatest visually, but in terms of stakes, that's almost as high as it gets for both programs. Yep, and moving on to game number four on our list. Uh, TJ, you, you did not put this on your list, and I kind of trumped you on it, is Notre Dame at Georgia. I I, I think, that, you know, this is the, the playoff team from last year against a team that thought they should be in above them uh, with Notre Dame and Georgia. It's at Sanford Stadium down mm-hmm. in Athens. Uh, if you're looking to go to that game, uh, the lowest ticket price is, is about $523. It's a get-in price. Whoa. Good luck with that. Uh, but it's, you know, two historic programs. They played a great game up at Notre Dame Stadium a couple years ago uh, where Georgia won uh, late in the game. Uh, Notre Dame's going down there. If they win that one, that's the feather in their cap. Uh, going into, you know, for college football playoff, you, you know, beat what could be the SEC East champion uh, and have that head-to-head nicked off. Um, just a, a good historic game, uh, you know, down uh, in the, on September 21st. And uh, we'll see Georgia has a chip on their shoulder. They, they were so close to beating Alabama two years in a row. Uh, we'll, we'll see if, and this is one of the roadblocks that stands in their way. If you lose to Notre Dame at home, and this is not a knock on Notre Dame, you're, you're probably looking at a two-loss season uh, for Georgia. You know, if you think that they're they're going to play uh, Alabama in the national title <laughs> game, you also have to go to Auburn. Um, but outside of that, you know, you got Florida at Auburn and. Notre Dame's probably your, you need to get that one because that strength of schedule in the East is really not as good as, as some of these other teams could can throw up there. But a good historic matchup on campus, which I love. And, uh, you know, middle of the year. It's one of these middle, you know, early season, but mid, you know, mid-early season games that, that can be big and have playoff implications, which make college football great. I think it is tremendous that they're playing each other. Kudos to them uh, for doing, you know, again, on-campus uh, matchup. Look, I love Jake Fromm. I think uh, he is one of my favorite quarterbacks to watch in the country. Um, if I have to choose an SEC team to, to really pull for, it's Georgia that I'm, I'm choosing. Uh, no particular reason for that. But uh, Jake Fromm, I think, uh, is – underrated nationally in terms of how good he is. Uh, I think he's a very smart player, great arm, uh, really good leader. And uh, to have the maturity to handle the number one recruit in the country coming in, splitting time with you, uh, surviving that challenge for your bat, for your, your starting job. And then, uh, you know, win that challenge and then, have the season he did throwing for 30 touchdowns with only six interceptions. Uh, really, really tremendous stuff to take from. I think he's primed for a really good year under a new offensive coordinator, James Coley, who is by all accounts going to open things up and uh, be a bit more up tempo, but more take more shots down the field, uh, you know, really utilize the weapon that they have in, in Jake Fromm. Uh, issue with that, they are going to be breaking in some new pass catchers, uh, and then they, they've got to hope that uh, their tailback Swift can can stay healthy. Uh, if so, you know I think Georgia, because of the way that they've recruited, they are going to be as talented as just about anybody in the country. Not quite, but but just about. Um, and then Notre Dame, Ian Book, uh, another very good quarterback. So a really good quarterback battle there. Uh, I don't think that Notre Dame's defense is quite at the level that they're going to need it to be to go to Athens and win. Uh, but if they do, if they can get that game, Notre Dame's right back in the playoff discussion, whether you like it or not. Definitely. And for game five, we stay with Notre Dame uh, and we go to one yeah. of the best uh, rivalries in the Midwest, Notre Dame 
travels to Ann Arbor to face Jim Harbaugh and the Wolverines. This is gearing up to be Jim Harbaugh's year. Urban is finally out at Ohio State. They get Notre Dame, Michigan State, and Ohio State at home. They have their senior quarterback. They have the defense. They have apparently all the tools, and I can't wait to find out what excuse they're going to use this year when they fall apart down the stretch. Uh, but yeah. they have all the tools. This is their year to to represent the East in the Big Ten championship game and hopefully represent the Big Ten in the college football playoff. Uh, this is a, a late October matchup, October 26th. Uh, both teams will know where their seasons are going at this point in time. It is a big game. They, these two teams hate each other. They've hated each other for a hundred years. And it, it's just one of the, these, this is college football in the Midwest, Notre Dame against Michigan. Uh, can't, you can't really say anything more, you know, a lot on the stake for Michigan. It, it would be another big time win for Notre Dame. As long as Michigan's, you know, it doesn't trip up early in their schedule, uh, but it, it's this will be a fun game to watch. Probably a night game, uh, you know, one of those primetime games of late October. The big house will be buzzing, and, and both fan bases will get into it. I think that for Michigan, the stakes could not possibly be higher for the season. You've got a senior quarterback in Shea Patterson. Uh, a whole lot of offensive talent. Yeah, the defense has to replace quite a few parts, and I think there's cause for concern there. Um, and they've already gotten some injuries on the offensive side of the ball, plus suspensions um, with Chris Evans being out for the year and, and possibly done in Michigan uh, overall. Um, I think there's a lot of cause for concern, but the hype train has already left the station. Uh, it, there is no more room for excuse here for Harbaugh. The schedule's accommodating. Uh, they've got Michigan State, Ohio State, and Notre Dame coming to Ann Arbor. Um, and then Penn State, their their road game. Penn State, is, I think, has a ton of questions to answer as well. So that's a game they should be favored in regardless. Uh, look, they've got to get it done now. And if not now, then I'm sure that their fans are going to be asking, well, then when? Uh, and that's that's fair. You know, I mean, Josh Gaddis, the hype surrounding their new offensive coordinator is kind of mind-boggling. Uh, he's being I've, – I've seen articles with, with him uh, labeled as an offensive guru and a creative genius. And do you know how many, how many offenses he's been in charge of in his career? Zero. Oh, big he has Zero. never – he's never called an offense. Uh, now – he might be great. He might be amazing. Jim Harbaugh better hope he is. But I'm not sure where the uh, where the label of – I'll put it this way. If Indiana had hired Josh Gaddis, no one would be talking about Josh Gaddis. Uh, right. And that's, that's not a knock on Josh Gaddis. It's, and, and, again, he might end up being tremendous. But – that the Michigan hype train in the media has uh, built him up to be a guy that he has so far not had a chance to prove that he is. This is his chance to prove it. Uh, and it's going to be very, very interesting to follow the, the soap opera in Ann Arbor this year. Uh, I, I think they are either going to put the pieces together and make that, you know, 12-1, and one, Big Ten champions, playoff berth-type season, or it's going to be a three-ring circus to, to behold. And I, you know, to be blunt, uh, if I had to choose one or the other, I'm kind of betting it's, it's the latter. But uh, nothing would shock me with Michigan this season. It's going to be fascinating. Yeah, and, and their crossover games are pretty friendly, too. At Wisconsin yeah. uh, early early in the year, on September 21st, Wisconsin's rebuilding uh, after a disappointing year last year. Illinois, uh, we all know what Illinois is, and yep. uh, and then you have who's the last one? Uh, and, and I home, and 
Iowa will be tough, but it's yeah. a lot tougher to go to Iowa. You you couldn't really ask and for a more friendly. Really yeah, and, and you can't really you know it, it, it can't really ask for a much better uh, crossover slate than that if you're Michigan. No. And we'll see. It's Michigan's one of these uh, stories to watch over the rest of the year. Next, we go out west. Uh, we we go to the Pac-12 and independent and an independent Utah at BYU to open the season on, on Thursday night. I believe it's a 10:30 game. Of course, uh, the Holy war, this game is awesome. Visually on the field, they both wear, uh, you know, their colored jerseys, uh, Utah in the red, flying up the blue. It looks great on TV. The, these yeah. two schools genuinely hate each other. They, hate each other, and that's awesome. sucks that this game is at 1030 at night on a Thursday. Um, yep. Especially when you have to wake up at 545 in the morning, but uh, it, it should be the headliner of that opening Thursday night because of how late it is. It probably won't be. Uh, Utah is, I want to say a sleeper pick, uh, but they're going to have a very, very strong team. Uh, and some people are picking them to win the Pac-12, represent the Pac-12, kind of a sleeper pick there, uh, but they're going to be pretty good. BYU is uh, its a rivalry game. They're, they're going to be coming out uh, ready to play, and you know they could very well uh, put up a fight uh, and coming off of, you know, I think a pretty good year last year. Um, and and really give us an entertaining game uh, an entertaining game for for that opening weekend which uh, or opening Thursday night which really doesn't have that many um, no that many many games they they did uh, they played in the potato bowl so they had a solid year a decent year uh, won seven games but uh, BYU had been in the tank before that. Uh, so it's opening the year with one of these rivalry games is pretty cool. What are your thoughts on this game, TJ? I agree with you on the rivalry side. Uh, tremendous rivalry and a genuine passion and dislike for each other um, on the field and off of it. Uh, Utah is a team that I, I'm really high on this season. Kyle Whittingham is a tremendous coach. They've got Tyler Huntley, their quarterback, and, and Zach Moss are both back. He's their running back. Uh, both of them are now seniors. Both of them are now healthy. Uh, they've won their division without the services of those two guys late the season last year. Uh, and I think if they're healthy, there's a very decent chance they knocked off Washington in that Pac-12 title game. Uh, their defense is tremendous. We know that. Great defensive line and, uh, you know, really good group of linebackers, very physical team, and then BYU. Uh, they feel like that they're, they're primed for a, a much better season than what they've had recently. We'll see if that's the case. But either way, playing on the road uh, at BYU, your, your hated rival, on opening night, uh, that's a challenge. I don't care how good or, or average BYU ends up being. That's going to be a challenge either way. Uh, and I think it's a really good test to see if, if Utah's as good as what I think they're going to be. Uh, they they handle that game, but I mean if they go out there and just you know blow BYU's tops off, uh, that's going to signal to me that Utah's a legitimate top ten team that has a, a decent chance given their their Pac-12 schedule, which is not particularly hard. They don't play Oregon, they don't play Stanford uh, in the crossover games and then the South figures to be kind of down. I think Utah will have a chance to win, you know, anywhere from 10 to possibly 12 games. We can factor in that uh, Pac-12 championship. And, hey, I mean, if they can have an impressive win on the opening night of, uh, of the season, Thursday night, maybe they can kind of stamp themselves as a, a relevant picture moving forward. Uh, but it, it's one that, as you mentioned, it's strictly from a rivalry factor. It's, it's got to be on this list. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's one of my favorite rivalries uh, to, to watch. Uh, next is we, we stay with the Pac-12. Uh, Stanford comes yeah. east 
play UCF. It's what fan UCF wanted. You, you got a home game against a Power Five conference team. Uh, it's not probably not the Power Five conference team you wanted, but Stanford's coming off of nine wins last year. I figure to be strong again this year. UCF, uh, you know, they lost to LSU, but Kenzie Milton got, had that gruesome injury. Uh, but they they uh, get a grad transfer from Notre Dame uh, to to play quarterback, replace him. I don't think Milton is coming back this year, but UCF should still be a, a very strong team. This game is at Spectrum Stadium in Orlando. If you're looking for a great deal on on a game, the get-in price is $35 for this game, and it should be a very entertaining game. Uh, you know, going both ways on, uh, I believe, week three. So, it's it's a chance for UCF uh, to keep their train going. If Stanford comes in there and rolls over them, it's oh yeah, well this is why we kept you out of the playoff uh, type thing yep. for for UCF. So you know it's a chance for Stanford to to make a splash, especially in the East Coast, get some recruiting done in Florida. They have a very difficult first four games. Uh, they play Northwestern yeah. to open the season at USC, at UCF, and then again, Oregon at home. It's very possible they could start the, the season 0-4. I think you're – you have to feel good if you go 2-2, two and two. Uh, even though you don't want a 2-2 two and two record. If you go 2-2 two and two over those first four games, and if you look at the first six, you know, it got at Oregon State and Washington. Uh, so, you know, if you look at 3-3 three and three through the first half of the season and go on to the back end, uh, Stanford's got this – very difficult schedule, uh, and this could be, you know, especially if you drop the first two games, it's a kind of a pivotal game for Stanford uh, right there in week three on September 14th. Absolutely. I, I Kudos to Stanford for playing this game. Uh, they may regret it because Central Florida is really good. Now, the problem for Central Florida it very much looks like they will not have McKenzie built. Uh, I doubt he's going to be able to go, particularly that early in the season. Uh, his status for the entirety of the year is still up for up for question. Uh, you know, the, they've got Notre Dame transfer Brandon Wimbush. I've never been impressed by him, but who knows? Maybe a you know change of scenery, different system will will help him. Uh, or Daryl Mack, who was just fine last season after Milton was injured. Uh, now, they can run the ball. Greg McRae and Adrian Killens, both really, really good running backs, a ton of speed on that team. Uh, Stanford, they have a very good quarterback in Costello. Uh, not sure what else they have. Um, they need to run the ball better than they did last year. They're not sure. At least last year, they were not the typical, you know, bruising Stanford team uh, that we've become accustomed to. Uh, but it, it's a very interesting game strictly because you don't get a lot of these really good, quote, mid-major, which I know Central Florida would, would bulk at that idea, but they're a G5 team, so a really good one, uh, getting to host a good P5 program. And that's a, a big opportunity for them uh, to make a statement one way or the other. Yeah, it's definitely one of those games you circle on the calendar and, and kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't for, for UCF. But you're right, kudos to Stanford. Next, we stay in the Sunshine State. Uh, we go opening weekend. Uh, I believe this game is also in Orlando. Uh, yeah, Boise State yep. versus Florida State. I left this one off my list just because Florida State – they missed the bowl for the first time in like a million years last year. I think in, in 40 years last year, um, they couldn't squeak out a sixth win somewhere like they did two years ago. Uh, their offensive line was a complete disaster. They've had a lot of off the field stuff, off the field issues, transfers, things like that. It's just fell apart on Florida state. And it's not easy to start the season with Boise State coming in. Yeah, Boise State has to fly all the way east to Florida to play this game. But you know Boise State will be ready. 
It's what Boise State does, and they're not going to be intimidated by Florida State either. So it, Boise State could come in and, and lay a licking on Florida State and fire up that hot seat on Willie Taggart pretty quickly uh, that it probably is still smoldering from last year, but they could dump some gas on that uh, on that fire. Uh, for Florida State, this could be a kind of a launching point uh, if they win. Boise State, if they lose, probably falls into irrelevancy for this year. They'll still be a solid team, but you can take them out of the national playoff picture uh, with a loss. Florida State with a win, you kind of get that buzz back. You're kind of talking, oh, are they back? And we'll see uh, how they, they play out in the ACC. Now, I don't think Florida State has a chance to win the ACC. I, I think it's Clemson to lose for the foreseeable future. Uh, but this is a very important uh, just – game mentally for Florida State. It, it, it was not too long ago when this was a game you, you cannot lo- you, you would not lose as Florida State. You have Boise State coming down to the state of Florida, your home state, and it would just be a buzzsaw. It, it's not that anymore. It's a great chance for Boise State to put another you know, skin on their wall with, with a Power 5 team and Florida State better be ready uh, because Boise State's a solid team. Well, Florida State's dysfunction is is why I had it on the list for me. Um, you know, as you mentioned, it, it's not going well for Willie Taggart, to put it mildly, uh, in a, a loss in the opening game of the season uh, to Boise State, which, yes, a very, very good program, but Florida State fans will not be pleased losing to anybody at a conference, especially a team that's not a power program. It's just not going to be acceptable to their fan base, uh, you know, particularly one that's already pissed off. And uh, to put it mildly, I think Taggart will find his seat heated up substantially more if they get off to a slow start in 2019. So, despite the ACC's weakness, uh, you know, they won't be a heavy favorite in a lot of their games uh, unless they're a lot better than what they showed last season. Now, Boise State, a win against Florida State on a neutral field, quote-unquote neutral, even though it's in Florida. Uh, To me, that's more of a road game than anything, but um, it will be counted as a neutral game. And a win on a neutral field, against Florida State will still mean something for a Boise State team that has realistic expectations of being the group of five's representative in the New Year Six, uh, getting back to that level for them. They've, they've not slipped necessarily, but they're not quite at the level that we saw them at under Chris Peterson in their heyday. Uh, you know, they have just dropped off by a win or two, and that's all it takes to go from, you know, 11 win season to, you know, 9 or 10 uh, is somewhat of a big step back uh, if you are used to that 11. So uh, it's a big game for both programs for different reasons. Boise State to stamp themselves as uh, a New Year's Six contender and Florida State to avoid uh, avoid a tire fire really starting to burn. Yeah, it's that's intrigue. It's all that's there. The next game on right. our list is a week zero matchup between Power Five teams, Florida at Miami, or Miami at Florida. Um, they're mm-hmm. playing at Camping World Stadium in Orlando. It was, I believe, moved up a week from the opening weekend because the last few years they've had a lot of hurricanes and they basically built in a week um, that if if the weather is bad down in Florida on the 24th. They could play it the next weekend as well. Uh, I put this on this list. I don't think either team is great. Uh, Florida is probably better than Miami. I think they're a two-touchdown favorite right now. But it is a Power 5 matchup a week earlier than we've had in the past. Uh, week zero, I, I kind of like it being that group of five uh, FCS power weekend. Uh, to get your appetite wet for the regular season, but I'm not going to complain that you have a, a 
good in-state battle with uh, Miami and Florida to, to open the season. Uh, it, it's again, it's how you start off how you start off your year. Uh, a win for Florida will probably mean you know people talking about them uh, being being in it in the SEC East. Uh, a loss for Miami and they're coming off a coaching change. They have a new quarterback. Um, it, it's kind of like Texas. The We're back. We're not back. Well, a loss in Miami's not back. A win, and you could talk about Miami being back. Uh, so it, it's kind of a big game uh, for the mentalities of both fan bases, for in-state bragging rights. A lot of programs have gone down to the state of Florida and have poached recruits, Indiana being one of them. Uh, they've poached recruits, recruits that usually have stayed home uh, and provided that depth uh, that made these <coughs> so tough to play uh, are now going elsewhere. This is a big game for the state of Florida. What are your thoughts, TJ? Florida's really interesting because Dan Bowman has improved the offense. I think there's still questions surrounding quarterback Felipe Franks. Um, he showed some definite flashes of being tremendous. Uh, can he take that next step and be an NFL caliber quarterback? Um, if so, you know, I think you've got to like Florida's chances to, uh, I don't think they're good enough to challenge Georgia in the East, but definitely submit themselves as the second best team in that division uh, and continue to build for more. Um, Miami, you know, new coach, Nanny Diaz, what better way to start your tenure uh, than beating Florida uh, in the opening game. Um, questions at quarterback there, uh, will it be Nikosi Perry or will Ohio State transfer Tate Martell come in there and uh, you know win that job? I think Martell transferred there fully expecting to do so. Uh, word out of spring practice was he was not great and struggled somewhat uh, to establish himself as the, the starter for that team. Uh, Manny Diaz would not commit to any of those guys, and uh, it's going to be a competition heading into fall camp. They'll have to have a guy before because they're going to need some points to, to keep up with Dan Mullen's Gators. That's a very interesting game. Florida's going to be uh, rebuilding a bit on defense, uh, but if Miami's offense isn't good enough to make them pay for it, then Florida uh, should have a pretty good time of it uh, and have themselves a uh, you know, nice resume win. Uh, before getting into SEC play. So it, it's a big one for, for both programs. I think Dan Mullen to continue to convince fans that he's the right guy in Gainesville. They had some off-the-field issues this offseason, uh, some transfer problems as well. And then Danny Diaz, obviously, to start to establish his program at Miami. Yeah, it's it's going to be one of these. One of these fan bases are going to be happy. The other one's going to be miserable. Uh, but you could say that yep. on most Saturdays about most fan bases. So finally, rounding out our top non-conference games nationally, uh, we head to the Big Ten and Pac-12. I put this one on the list, TJ. Opening weekend, yeah. Northwestern at Stanford. It's You could call it the Battle of the Nerds uh, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, it it's kind of – been a good game in the past. Stanford came into Northwestern, I think lost a few years ago, got kicked off a Northwestern 10-win uh, season. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was a Stanford Rose Bowl season as well, uh, where that was their only loss heading into the Rose Bowl. This game, it, it's another Pac-12. As a Pac-12 team, you have to win this game. You have Northwestern, yep. who, who, yeah, they won the Big Ten West last year, but they're they, New quarterback, they lose a lot of pieces on defense. Uh, their best running back from last year to start the year uh, has retired. There are a lot of questions about Northwest, and they usually start the year slowly. Uh, and then heading out west uh, is different as well. Uh, it, it's This has to be for the Pac-12 a must-win game. If you lose this game, it's one of your marquee teams in the Pac-12 uh, going down. It just makes that – it has that trickle-down effect of, okay, Oregon beat Stanford, but Stanford, you know, now you're looking at, you know, a two or three loss uh, Stanford team. Right. 
especially we, we went over their schedule early. Um, it, it just hurts that strength of schedule for the conference. For Northwestern, it's a chance for them to make a statement early in the season uh, in, in an area they really don't get to go to that much. They ended the season in San Diego last year with a, a resounding comeback win in the, I think it was the Holiday Bowl um, uh, against Utah. And then uh, to start the season there uh, with another win, I think really fires up that fan base before they return home. It, it's it's a good win uh, for the Big Ten and the Big Ten West to have one of your teams who's in that West, which has a lot of depth, but maybe not a power to go out and beat, you know, what has been a power program in, in the Pac-12 for the last couple of years. So that made my my list at number 10 it's kind of an under the radar game it's yeah. one of these games tier two tier three but it's a game that it's probably going to be ugly uh but it'll be a game that is entertaining to watch at least for me very very interested to see how hunter johnson looks uh transfer quarterback originally from brownsburg indiana uh, now playing for Northwestern after he left Clemson, uh, wisely knowing he was not going to beat out uh, Trevor Lawrence. No shame there. And he lands at Northwestern. And uh, obviously it's a higher pedigree quarterback than what uh, the Wildcats typically have. But a ton of questions elsewhere on that team. Like their linebackers are really good. But beyond that, a lot of unknowns. And some staff turnover as well. as uh, And some, some longtime staff members head to Eastern Illinois to head that program uh, and get a shot building their own program. Um, I think Pat Fitzgerald is an incredible coach. Uh, he will have a bit of a rebuilding job to do, and he'll have to start it at a very uh, difficult test out west. We mentioned Stanford earlier. No reason to talk about them again, but you're right. You cannot lose a home game on opening weekend if you're the Pac-12 to a – I would guess a team that is somewhere in the middle of the Big Ten, you know, somewhere between, I don't know, team number seven and team number ten, I think is fair for Northwestern, maybe a little higher uh, than seven, but not much. I mean, their best-case scenario is probably somewhere around there. Uh, so I, you can't lose that game on opening weekend at home if you're Stanford uh, in the Pac-12. That will be uh, more of a, you know, relief to get that one over with uh, than anything else. And, and uh, you're right. It'll probably be kind of ugly, but um, very, very interesting to watch. And I, I I would anticipate Stanford getting that one done just because of, you mentioned it, we typically don't see Northwestern start seasons off tremendously. Uh, and they've, they're going through, you know, a lot of roster transition already. Plus it's a trip out West. So, everything stacked against Northwestern there. Uh, and from an IU perspective, you know, that would be our first uh, first chance to see one of Indiana's crossover opponents. So that's another point of interest for us. Definitely, definitely a big point of interest for us. Uh, watching opponents' games uh, is yeah, definitely something I enjoy doing and seeing what maybe they'll bring uh, to the table. Uh, TJ, that wraps up our national teams. We'll go quickly to the Big Ten. Two of them have been on yep. our national list. We won't go into depth on that. The number one on our list was Notre Dame at Michigan, and Stanford at Northwestern was number five. So sandwiched in the middle, yep. uh, starting with number two, TCU travels to Purdue. This is a game It just does not make sense. I don't understand Purdue's scheduling. Uh, you're, no. playing, uh, you're playing TCU, Purdue, and at Nevada – that's, you know, for and Vanderbilt. Brom, Vanderbilt. Yeah. What did I say? Missouri? Purdue. Yeah, they play, yeah you said Purdue they, playing Purdue. <laughs> uh, well, spring game. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but hey, Vanderbilt and Purdue, both Nike schools, both golden black. It'll look like Purdue yeah. versus Purdue. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, Purdue versus Vanderbilt. They, they open the season at Nevada for – Jeff Brom has done some really good things, but he is still building this program. And the schedule philosophy that they have is not something that I would do. 
I was building a program. I think I've been pretty vocal about that. Uh, Open the season on the road on the West Coast and then playing, uh, you know, good Big 12 team in TCU and Vanderbilt, who is a bowl team out of the SEC. You need a built-in win there somewhere. I don't think they have that, you know, lock it in, guaranteed win uh, that you'd like to have. But TCU at Purdue, it should be a great atmosphere at Ross-Aid. It's a it's an opponent that we don't usually get to see play in the Big Ten. Uh, one of these teams from Texas coming up north uh, to play to play. It's a chance early for to see what Purdue is made of. Uh, Purdue last year went one and two on a on a similarly difficult non-conference schedule with losses to Eastern Michigan and Missouri before beating Boston College. Uh, so we'll see what Purdue's made out of that. They've You've got an All-American in Rondell Moore. Uh, they have to figure out their quarterback situation with Blau graduating. Uh, they have to figure out, you know, it's probably going to be Elijah Sindelar, but you've got to figure out that offensive line. You've got to figure out the defensive line and the secondary. Uh, you have Marcus Bailey back at linebacker, uh, I believe. And, you yep. know, there are, there are a lot of questions that Purdue has to answer. And this, you, you'll see what Purdue's made out of. Uh, with this game, a, a win will go a long way for their confidence in, a, in an open West race. And, you know, TCU's coming in. They're always tough. And uh, it, it could be one of those games that you, you could see it as being 13-10 or 45-41. Uh, it could be either of them. Depends which TCU uh, shows up. Is it going to be the defensive-minded TCU or the, the Big 12 offensive-minded TCU. So that was our game number two. Uh, TJ, a little bit about yep. that game. Yeah, I think you covered it pretty well. TCU, I mean, middle of the pack in the Big 12, this projection for them, um, I, I do think they've got some questions about, you know, who they are now as a program in the Big 12. Um, they have slipped a little bit down. Uh, but still, certainly competent. Gary Patterson, very good coach, uh, and with a lot of time to prepare for that game, I would, uh, you know, during the off season, um, I would anticipate that they'd come in with some type of game plan to make things difficult for the Boilers. It's a game at home that Purdue will likely be favored to win by a little bit, but that that'll be a very interesting contest. Um, and I, I'm with you, Purdue's non-conference scheduling philosophy. Um, that does not make a ton of sense to me. Uh, it, I would think you'd want to get those three wins and, you know, propel yourself forward uh, in the Big Ten. You know, you've got nine conference games. Get those three easy wins, if you will, or, or at least expected wins and, uh, you know, build your base on win totals and uh, guarantee in bowl victory or bowl appearances and build from there. But hey, to each their own, and uh, this will, for our, you know, neutral perspective and our viewing pleasure, it's a good thing. Yep. Uh, with a few minutes left, we'll get to the last two: Arizona at Michigan State. This was a matchup last year, another big matchup for the Pac-12. Arizona State knocked off Michigan State uh, last year, I think 14-13 in the desert. That this is the playback game in the home and home. Michigan State, you'll you'll see what Michigan State's made out of. Again, it's another early season test for them. Uh, they're a team who has been on a roller coaster the last couple of years. If they can come out and play well, uh, you know, Arizona State's not – you don't go yippee, we beat Arizona State and, and uh, you know, raise a banner, but it's still a Power 5 win against a really solid uh, Pac-12 team who's – got some recruiting momentum going is coming off a solid year. Uh, and then finally, TJ, I'll let you talk about this one. Cincinnati at Ohio state yep. one that I left off. My list. Sure. Understandable. Uh, you know, for me, it's early in the season. Ohio state has to answer a lot of questions in terms of replacing personnel that would see NFL, uh, integrating Justin Fields at quarterback transfer from Georgia former number one overall recruit. However, uh, he had some struggles in spring, and, you know, he's still going to be a first-time starter for this team. And then you're, you're bringing in Cincinnati's club that, 
you know, was very successful last season. Desmond Ritter is a really good quarterback. The Bearcats went 11-2 and a year ago in the AAC, which is not easy. Uh, no, it's not a Power 5 league, but it's a good group of five conference. They went 11-2. and Luke Fickle continues to build a good program there. And a, a guy with, you know, from that Ohio State family that uh, would love to go into Ohio Stadium and shock the Buckeyes early in the season. I don't think Ohio State's going to lose this game, but I do think it's a good early season barometer for them to see where Ryan Day's program is at in his first season and Justin Fields' first season as a starter. Cincinnati will not be a walkover, and every one of those kids that's playing for Cincinnati, uh, almost every one of them, I mean, I'm sure they're not all like this, but just about every one of them will be wanting to go in and prove to Ohio State's coaching staff, hey, you should have brought me here. I'm better than you thought I was. And uh, that chip on their shoulder often makes for some interesting matchups in state with kind of that, quote, little brother uh, mentality that Cincinnati's going to have in that game. I, I just think it's going to be closer than what uh, people are, are anticipating it's going to be. And I could see Ohio State having to sweat that one out in the second half uh, a little bit, which is not a terrible thing for a team to grow early in the season as long as you don't lose. Yeah, and, and the fact that that's on the list really sums up um, just how not great this non-conference played in is in terms of marquee matchups. Ohio State, that's their best matchup at a conference. Uh, yeah. Usually they'll play one of these big ten, these big time teams. They played TCU last year. They'll, they'll play Texas in the future. Um, so that sums that up. Anyway, TJ, thanks for joining me on an awesome Monday uh, to talk college football. Yeah. We are 82 days away uh, from IU kickoff, even fewer days away from the kickoff of college football. So hopefully everybody is enjoying their summer, uh, getting ready for football, and the fall will be here before you know. Uh, you can post on Twitter at Hoosier underscore huddle. Keep coming back for, at to Hoosier.com for all the previews on uh, Indiana football. We have our first game preview up from uh, Nate Comp. He broke down Ball State. We'll have uh, TJ, your preview on Eastern Illinois coming up on Friday. So thanks for joining us. Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Had a blast. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret, like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. The NBA Finals are heating up. Looking for hot takes on all the postseason action? The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, is the podcast to listen to for the ultimate finals coverage. Host and former NBA sharpshooter J.J. Redick not only has a plugged-in perspective on the action from his time in the league, but he's also announcing the games in real time for ESPN. J.J. has the ultimate insider point of view, and he's taking you along for the ride as he breaks down the best defensive schemes, dunks, and drives from each game. And speaking of incredible drives, there's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. 
Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.